Man, it's so good, so good to see you, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to take a minute. I want to welcome everybody who's watching right now online, and of course, everybody who's over at that South Side, South Campus, South Campus. We see you and we love you, and the best way we can show you that is by clapping. So come on, everybody. Will you welcome everybody who's watching with us? Everybody who's here today, man, thank you so much. Man, we are just in a very special time, a special season in our church. Easter just a couple weeks away. It's going to be amazing, and we could be in our new building, everybody. We are believing that we will be. It will be a game-time decision, literally game-time decision. So, But we're going to step out in faith. After service the week before, we're going to take all of our chairs from both campuses and move them into the new building, okay? We're going to move them into the new building in faith, believing that that inspector is going to go approved. Now, the building won't technically be like done, done, all right? So it won't be finished, finished. So there'll be, still be some things happening as we move in. Uh, we're all a work in progress. So come on, you know, like that, it'll be, the building will be a work in progress as well. But I told them, I was like, man, if we can have church, let's have church. Let's have church. So uh, we're going to believe in faith. And then so, Friday, you know, hopefully sometime during the week, you're going to get an email saying thumbs up. And uh, if not, probably Friday, you're going to be uh, getting an email that says, hey, can you come help us move the chairs back to both locations? So hey, we'll see what God's going to do. He can do anything. And uh, we know that because we're in a series called Miracles. We're talking about that God uh, does miracles still today. We are, we are in the midst of a miracle. We have been experiencing lots of miracles, and I just love it. I love what God's doing, and it's just so cool to be a part uh, of a miracle. But one of the questions we've been asking uh, in this series, we've been saying, hey, where have all the miracles gone? Because Christianity was founded on the greatest miracle, which is the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus came, lived, and he died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. And the Bible says that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So we have resurrection power available to us, flowing through us. And so uh, we have resurrection power available. And, and when you see the early church, you see that. You see resurrection power on display. God pouring out a spirit. People experiencing signs, wonders, the miraculous. It is commonplace. It is happening. God answering prayer, doing miracle working things. So the question we've been asking is, where did all the miracles go? If, if that's Christianity... What happened? And so we've been kind of answering that. And one of the things I was thinking about this week is that, you know, back in Bible times, you know, life was very, very difficult. It was very, very challenging. You had to, you had to walk to go get water. You didn't have running water. Um, you had dirt floors, most probably. You didn't have uh, the common accoutrements, if you will, of life. You didn't have right guard, speed stick. You didn't have that stuff, right? You didn't have that. Like, and, and so, and, and when you had physical needs, there, there was, the only had, you only had like natural remedies. And so today things, we've just got, life is so much more comfortable, right? I mean, especially today, especially in America. Like today, you can sit on your couch and order your groceries, I'm like, I've, I've done it a couple times. I feel like a movie star. You know what I'm saying? Have you felt like that? You're like, they brought my groceries? Or someone can bring you food? You can order coffee? 
And you sit there, lazy as all get out. You could walk to the kitchen and make it yourself. But no, DoorDash. <laughs> Why make it yourself when you can sit there on your very comfortable down feather couch? You know what I'm saying? Like we live in a comfortable, some of you are like, my life is hard. I had to wait in line at Andy's twice. <laughs> exactly. Our life isn't that hard. It's very comfortable. And so I think that comfort kind of works against like a desperation to believe God for the miraculous. But then there are moments, right? Then there are moments where you get the diagnosis from the doctor, where, where you hit that financial hardship, where relationally you're in a situation that, that you cannot fix. And you're like, I need God. The good news of the gospel is that God still does miracles today. That's good news. That's good news. And, and we see in John chapter 20 a little bit of the heart of the miraculous that you notice in, uh, in John's gospel. John's gospel is all about actually signs. It's all about seven miracles. You look through it. It's seven miracles that he is doing. And at the end of them, at the end of the, his book, he says this. He says, hey, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He says, so there's a lot more that happened <laughs> that I didn't even write about. He says, but these are written so that you may believe. Everybody say believe. believe. Come on, everybody, both locations with strength, say believe. believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. See, what God wants to do is he wants to show you signs, not only in the Bible, but in your life, that as you experience God come through, you're going to believe. And as you believe and you put your faith in greater ways in God, you're going to experience life. And that life is going to fill you. It's going to give you hope. It's going to change you. It's going to transform you. It's going to strengthen you. That's God's heart for you. Come on, somebody. That's worth getting excited about. That's, that's alive. Our God is alive. So miracles are at work today. And so what we're doing is we're looking through different miracles of Jesus' ministry. And so we're, we've been covering several different miracles. Today we're going to look at uh, the miracle of the man born blind. It's found in John's gospel, John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I really want to encourage you to take out your Bibles today because we are going to be kind of going verse by verse through this. We do this a lot. Uh, through passages, but a lot of times I'll read through a passage and then break out the points. I'll do that a little bit, but I'm going to spend most of our time actually in the passage because there's a lot to cover and tease out some stuff. And so I'd love for you to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can, you can download it from the Bible app uh, right now, um, right now as you're sitting there. You can download the Bible app and you can walk through it, or you can follow along on our own Summit Park app, and we'll walk you through this. But we're going to look at this Draw conclusions, and then, uh, and then be better. If you're ready, jump in and say, I am. Let's do this. John chapter 9. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I'm going to pause, put a pin in that for just a second. Blindness, we experience it today. But in that day, it was actually even more common. And it was brutal. It was especially brutal. 
because they didn't have any of the, of the helps that, that we have today. They didn't have Braille. They didn't have uh, trained service dogs. Uh, they didn't have programs. In fact, what it usually meant for you, if you were blind, that, that you were a beggar. And really, you were just going to sit by the side of the road, and you were going to beg people for money as they walked by. That's what you're going to do, and you're going to do that every day, every day. And so it was, it was a very difficult situation. And so this guy has been blind from birth. The disciples are walking through, and they uh, interact with him. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, that's a very weird question when you think about it because he was born blind. And they're like, who sinned, his parents or him? In the womb, he's sinning, really? You know, what kind of sin can you commit in the womb? <laughs> we'll unpack that here in just a second. Um, but that actually was not an uncommon question in that day. People asking, like, who's at fault here? You're going through something. You're facing a difficult situation, a difficult circumstance. Who did this? Why are you going through this? In fact, we still ask this today sometimes, don't we? And in versions of Christianity, different little, little branches, if you will, the answers, the answers are interesting. But, but what I want to show you is what Jesus says in this because he helps us unpack this, and we're going to talk about the greater gospel narrative in just a moment. But verse 3, he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But... This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, that is very, very interesting. He's saying God didn't cause this, but this happened so that God can use it to do something better, uh, something better and something bigger than it. He's saying God is going to use this story to build other stories. Now, think about that's happening right here in this moment. Because, because we're talking about this guy, we don't even know his name, who lived over 2,000 years ago. And here we are talking about his story, and we're going to be encouraged from his story. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to do something with this story, and it's going to make a difference. The works of God are going to be displayed, and it's going to bring about power and grace for a lot of people. So Jesus emphasizes his mission. Look at this, verse 4. As long as it is day... We must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, y'all, life is short. And here you guys are talking about who caused all of this and what's the responsible, who's responsible for all this. And I've got a better idea. How about we do something about this? <laughs> He's, you know, that's what we can do, can't we, sometimes? We talk about all the different things and all the, all the reasons. And we talk about philosophy and theology and all that stuff is good and has a place. But at the end of the day, Jesus is like, you know what we all need to do? Get to work. Because as long as we're here, there is a devil. And he's rocking people's lives. He's ravaging people's souls. And here we are with the truth, the life, the light of Jesus. And we've got to do something about it. We've got to take this hope to a hopeless and broken world. That's what he's saying. He's saying, let's get to work. He said, let's get to work. And then he shows him what his work is. Verse 6. After saying this, Jesus said, my son, 
Your eyes are healed. Get up. Enjoy your new life of sight. If you're following along the Bible, you realize he didn't say that at all. But that's what you expect him to say, right? Because that's what Jesus says. He does this a lot where he's like, all right, rise, take up your mat and walk. Rise, get up, go leave your life of sin. Don't do that anymore. Like he does that, right? Not this time. Jesus gets a little off script, you could say. Watch this. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Gross. Gross. Never had this happen. We're not going to start a new healing ministry, prayer team. So this isn't, this is one aspect of the Bible. We're not copy and pasting, praise the Lord. I've never had anybody, uh, like, do this to me. You know, I have had people spit in my eye, though. As a pastor, it happens more than you might imagine. Because people are pouring their heart out to you, and they're getting into it, and, you know, you're listening to them, you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure that was spit. <laughs> and I can't react. <clears throat> <laughs> so, Jesus spits, makes some mud, and puts it in this guy's eye. Now, can you imagine being this guy? Come on, put ourselves in, in the moment here. Can you imagine being this guy? Your whole life has been spent begging. Your whole life has been spent uh, being blind, not being able to feel like you're contributing. And, and so you're there on the side of the road, and you hear the disciples talking about the cause of it, and you're used to that. So they start getting close. And, of course, your, your hearing is probably extra, like, focused, right? You know, that's what happens. Like, you, you give more so that he can hear really, really well. So he's there, and, and Jesus comes by, and He's hearing the disciples, and he's like, oh, here, you know, people are going to be talking about my blindness. And all of a sudden, he hears, <coughs> now, I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> but, but he makes mud from the saliva, okay? How many of you know, like, that's a few rounds of loogies? <laughs> I mean, can we just be honest? Like, so here's this guy. Like, this isn't a small amount. Like, and he's hearing, you know, and then he hears Jesus in the ground, you know, rustling in the ground. He's like, okay, what's that? Oh, oh that's weird. Oh, what is it doing? Oh, my goodness. And he's thinking, was that really? Was that really the spit? What are you doing? You know, like, what's happening here? And she, the, Jesus doesn't even say anything. He's like, oh, hey, I'm going to spit in the ground. Just be, at least John doesn't record it. And you think John's trying to make Jesus look as good as possible. If Jesus would have said it, John would have wrote it. But for whatever reason, Jesus spits, puts some mud in there, and then verse 7, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So he's like, well, yeah, now I need to because I got mud all over my eyes. So he walks, he finds his way to the pool of Siloam, and he washes. And, and, and the Bible says... In the next, in the next uh, verses, 
that, that he, becomes, he becomes well. He can see. He sees. And I just think that this is so amazing. I love how simple this healing takes place. And it's almost like Jesus just going about his normal everyday business and, and he heals somebody. And I love the fact that, I love the fact that it's so understated because that's what the miraculous should be like in the life of a believer. It should be so natural that we're just like, oh, of course God spoke to me. Of, go- of course God led me. Of course God helped me with that situation. Of course God healed me because I prayed and he's a good God and he does good things and he can do anything. So of course this happened. And so they, 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 they go on in verse uh, 8. This guy gets healed and it's absolutely amazing. And so his neighbors hear about it in verse 8 and the rumors start flying. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Check this out. Others said, no, he only looks like him. Deep fake back in Bible times. Fake news. Like, no, they're, they're spinning it. No, he only looks like him. But he's like, no, 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 no. I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus, I haven't even seen him yet. He made some mud, put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Again, can you imagine being this guy? He goes, he washes, and the first thing that he sees is himself. And he's like, wow. Amazing. And then he looks up and he starts looking around. I was reading something, this is from several years ago, but there was a man in Canada who was 68 years old and he fell. And when he fell, he was, he was going to need reconstructive surgery of some kind on his face. And so they're like, hey, we're going to have to go in. Do you want us to fix your sight? He had been blind his whole life. And they're like, hey, do you want us to fix your fix your sight. And he's like, well, sure. Of course. And, and, the, and the guy says that one of the biggest things he says, he can't stop looking at people. Everywhere he looks is beautiful. Everywhere he looks is beautiful. That's what this guy is experiencing. Everywhere he looks is beautiful. His whole life, his whole life has changed. He can work now. He can contribute. He doesn't have to sit there begging anymore. His life is different so, but it's interesting because people, they're, they're asking, okay, what about this? Verse 12, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. I haven't seen him yet. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Now, here's the deal on this. This would have broken some of the rules about the Sabbath, but not the law of the Sabbath. So what what the Pharisees would do is they would add rules around the law. 
So it's like the law is this, but we're going to add rules, like concentric rings around the law so that we don't even get close to breaking the law, which, which is not a bad idea, right? This is not unlike, you know, the, hey, I am not going to eat a candy bar. I am not going to eat a candy bar. I'm going to put a lock on the cabinet so I do not eat the candy bar, and I'm going to give my spouse the key. Like, that's what this is, that's what this is doing. But what ended up happening is it made life really constricting, and they made a really, really big deal about it. And Jesus breaks these rules, these man-made rules, a lot. And In fact, it's almost like he's kind of just messing with the Pharisees a little bit. He'll, he will heal at least seven different people on the Sabbath that we know of, recorded in Scripture. And the, and the Pharisees cannot stand it. So verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the Sabbath, just doesn't do it. Think about this. This guy is in front of them, blind his whole life. He can see, and all they're worried about is Sabbath rules. Here's a guy who, who's got his life back, and the religious people are obsessing over stuff that doesn't matter. Man, isn't this how we do, church? Sometimes religious people are going to obsess over little things, and they are going to miss the big point. This guy, the big point is he was blind, but now he can see. We've got to be careful that we never get obsessing about rules that keep people out instead of proclaiming a gospel of grace that brings people in and grows people up because that's what this whole thing's about that's the point that's the point and so that's what our faith is all about in fact Jesus says this when being criticized when being criticized for his ministry to those that seem like outsiders he says it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Church, we've got to make sure that our focus is crystal clear on what we are doing. We are not bringing about rules. We are not bringing about religion. We are bringing about a relationship with the living God. And that God loves people, and he sees people, the broken people. And he can do something about their brokenness. And our job is to help people find it. That's why the church needs to be a hospital for the sick not a waiting room for the saints. So back to our story, verse 16. People keep talking about it, and they're missing the point. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and the man replied, he's a prophet. It's like, I, I mean, I, I'd have to say he's probably a prophet. They're still not content. So they go talk to the guy's parents. The guy's parents are like, I don't know. Yeah, he was blind from birth. That's him. He can see. Go talk to him. Verse 24, a second time, they summon the man. This is crazy. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. It's it's, they're just on a mission. They're just on a mission. They're just so focused on diminishing Jesus' ministry. And I love how this guy responds. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. 
I haven't even met him yet. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. See, that's the difference. It's like, man, I don't, I, you know what? I don't know about end times theology. I don't know how many horses are coming and who's riding them. I don't know any of that, but all I know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see amazing grace. You know, the guy who wrote that song, John Newton, it's a hymn. In the 1700s, he wrote that song because God had delivered him from a, from a terrible life. And it was this verse that he wrote that song on. He said, this is, I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. I want to give us three important principles on experiencing the miraculous for us, okay? Number one, that we can take away from this passage, very important. Number one, God doesn't cause our pain. But number two, our pain can help us bring us closer to God. And three, God can use our pain for a greater purpose. Three thoughts. God doesn't cause our pain. Our pain can help bring us closer to God, and God can use our pain for a greater purpose. We're going to jump into this. Before we do, tell three people, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Come on, tell three people that. Come on, tell three people, I was lost, but found. All right. Number one, God doesn't cause our pain. Again, the disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's a weird question. But they would, they would talk about this at that day. And it's crazy to think about because, you know, how, how many know babies, they can't sin? They're perfect. Those little babies, they're so cute. They make those little noises. You know when babies are like just newborns, is it? Like it's just the best. They do nothing wrong when they're babies. They do start sinning. There's a, there's a, um, there's a moment in their life, a condition they experience called toddleritis. And toddleritis begins when they learn the word mine, right? They turn into Gollum. Mine. We all turn into Gollum. That's the moral of the story. And, and it's just, it's amazing. Like my son, my son Titus, we, we, we don't, it's just, he would start biting his brother. I'm like, what in the Mike Tyson is going on here? I'm like, he's never seen me do that. And he's only seen his mom do it a few times. I don't know where he gets it. Just kidding. She's never bit anybody. But where did he get it? It's clearly a sin nature that's inside of him, right? But he never acted out on that nature in the womb, right? So, like, the disciples were like, did he, did he do something in the womb? That no, obviously he did not act out on the sin nature to cause this. And this is really, really important because a lot of people will talk about what did you do to deserve the life that you're living or the thing that you're experiencing or the pain that you're going through. And we've got to be careful because God does not create 
pain. God does not create sin. The, the reason we have sin and pain in our world today is because the world is cursed. God created the world perfect. Genesis 1 tells us that he looked back and he said it was good. It was all good. It was more than good. It was perfect. There was no sin. But a part of that goodness, God gave us a choice. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. Instead of making them robots to do everything he wanted them to do perfectly, he gives them a choice to either serve him or serve themselves. And they and we and all of mankind since then have chosen to serve ourselves. And when, when Adam and Eve did that, sin came into the world. And the Bible teaches that there was a curse. On, a curse came into creation. Curse came on mankind. So now we have a sin nature. So now it's when we get back to our nature, we are actually acting out in sin. And so there is a reality that, that we are living in a sinful world. God did not cause it. God did not create it. And so is our pain connected to our sin? No, in general. In particular, for some, yes. For some, yes. Because sometimes when it comes to things that we do, we invite pain onto our own lives, right? Some clear things. Things like alcohol, uh, drug addiction, uh, promiscuous sex that leads to disease, being angry, starting fights with random people. You're probably going to have some black eyes, right? Sometimes, sometimes our actions clearly do produce pain in our lives. But in particular, and in general, rather, is God going around just levering out punishment for things that we do? No. No, that's, that's not the gospel. And some of you are like, what about that Old Testament, though? <laughs> you're reading the one-year Bible. Like, some of you, like, are reading the Old Testament for the first time, and you're like, God was angry. Like, he's taking people out. <laughs> What's up? What's up with that? Well, here's the beauty of the gospel. We live actually in a different dispensation of grace. When Jesus died, he, we entered in, and he died and rose again. He took, he took the, the weight of sin, the wrath of God upon him. And we live in a different dispensation. So it doesn't mean everything's good. But we live in a different dispensation than before. It's, we still struggle with sin because we have a sin nature and we live among sinful people. But we have a different dispensation. As believers in Christ, we walk in a, in a, in a potentiality of walking in freedom and grace and understanding that God is not just meriting out judgment. That judgment, mass judgment, has been paid. It has been paid, and everybody who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can experience freedom and health and wholeness in their life. So in general, no, God does not cause pain. He does not cause pain, but our pain can bring us closer to God. Our pain can bring us closer to God. This man... We know he's, he's sitting begging consistently. That's all, that's all he can do. And he's in this spot, and as he's in this spot, 
His spot has put him in a position to meet Jesus. The reason these disciples come over to him is because of his blindness. We don't know if Jesus is going to, there's no indication. Jesus is walking by. The disciples in their ignorance be like, hey, what about this guy? They're just asking. They're like, I don't know. What about this guy? Who caused this? And Jesus is like, all right, let me teach you something better. God's doing something in my work, and this is my time, and we're getting ready, and we're pushing back darkness. His pain put him in a position to meet Jesus. Now, look at this. We didn't read this verse. Verse 35. This is the end of the story. The Pharisees had actually kicked this guy out. We don't know what that means, but potentially it's out of the synagogue, which would have basically meant out of culture, out of the culture. And Jesus is like, oh, man. He finds out that he's been thrown out. And watch, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? You know, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't be like, hey, do you want to get back in the synagogue? I know some people. I love that he doesn't do that. You know, he's like, that's all right here. He's like, I want to fix the main problem. I want to fix the deeper issue. He says, do you believe in the son of man? He goes, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. He says, you have now seen him. He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What's, the, what's really even the greater miracle? That. What's the most important miracle? That. Salvation. I mean, he, he, he got his sight back. But come on, somebody, he got his sight back. He got his heart back. What a great day. What an amazing day. Unforgettable day. And this day only happens if he's blind and begging sitting by the side of the road. You know, sometimes your pain can put you in a position to meet God that you would not have been in had you not experienced that pain, right? Sometimes when you're desperate, when you've, when you've tried everything else, when you've gone to everybody else, when you've, when you've tried sex, drugs, drugs, rock and roll, you've tried it all, and it's all left you wanting, you're like, oh, God, and you're in a painful moment. You're, you're desperate. You're in that situation. You look up. You say, oh, God, can you do something with this? And the reality is, yes, he can. And he sees you in your painful moment, your painful position can be positioning you to meet God in a unique way. He doesn't cause your pain, but man, will he use it. C.S. Lewis says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. So he's like, man, we hear him a little bit when things are going great. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When you're going through something difficult, that pain can drive you to God. You know, Pastor Nathan talked a few weeks ago about how our difficult situations can either drive us to God or drive us to desperation and drive us to terrible situations. This guy, it drives him to God. And it leads us to the last thing, which is this. God can use our pain. 
for a greater purpose. This guy's story was immediately told over and over and over and over. I mean, think about it for a second. How many messages have been preached on this story? How many messages are being preached today? Wouldn't that be cool to know? You know, in heaven, maybe they keep a tally. They're like, oh, 3,000 messages today. <clears throat> Talk amongst yourselves. <clears throat> like 3,000 messages today. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know how much, like, the, how much access the people who pass and go to heaven have in viewing what happens on earth. I don't know how much access. There's some indication that there, there, may be, there may be little access in Scripture, that they can see what's happening. Wouldn't it be cool if every Sunday morning, that blind guy, we don't know his name, but he gets up, or maybe he's not sleeping in heaven because you don't sleep in heaven, but he knows what time, like it's Sunday. And he gets, he gets to the edge, and he's looking down. He's got his popcorn. He goes, I can't wait to see how many people hear this story again. I can't wait to see how many people can get encouraged from what I went through, the pain that I went through. Because he knows there are people hurting right now, and they need to be encouraged that there is a God who loves people and does miracles today. And I think he's just waiting. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see. And then when people put their faith in Jesus because of this story, he's got to be clapping. Oh, yeah. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. But I bet when this story is preached and someone repents, he's clapping extra louder. You know? Your pain can be used to help someone else's story. Your pain can be used to help someone else find and follow Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is the ministry of comfort that God entrusts to us. And some of you have been through a lot of pain. You've been through a lot of difficult situations. God didn't cause it. Hopefully you found God in a greater degree because of it. But here's what I want to encourage you. God can use that story to help someone else's story. And you can relate to that person in a way that maybe I could never relate to them. You can help that person in a way that, that is unique. It is your unique gift to the world. That God wants to use your pain for a greater purpose. And that's what, that's what miracles are all about. Signs, wonders, where we experience God coming, moving, helping in relationships, providing miraculously financially, 
healing our body in ways that are undeniable that make us say, man, God, you did that. And then we can point other people to it and say, God can do the same for you. I don't know what to tell you. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was sick, and now I'm healed. We were broke, and now God has helped us. That's it. That's the story. God can work miracles. And we're going to pray for miracles right now. So would you stand with me at both locations, watching online? I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. You know, we've been praying for miracles each and every week. And we're seeing them. God's doing stuff. He's moving in people's lives. It's powerful. And we want to hear from you. If you have a miracle story, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, scott at summerparkchurch.com. We'd love to hear from you and help encourage other people with your story. Story came in this week from a couple that go to our church. Roby and Talia's story. Talia writes this. She says, as most people know, Roby and I have struggled with infertility for about eight years now. It's something that we accepted a long time ago. Infertility was something that we were so thankful for because it was a part of God's plan for us. Without our infertility diagnosis, we wouldn't have had our miracle boy Lincoln who they adopted. We we have been praying to grow our family through foster and adoption again, but the process has hit many bumps along the road this time. And as we were sharing our frustrations with our family members, they began to secretly pray for a pregnancy for us. Secret prayer. Come on, somebody. Secret prayer. That's cool. That's really cool. This was something we had completely surrendered to God eight years ago, and we were more than content with what we thought he had for us. Well, on, more, on March 14th, he answered our family's prayers, and we found out that we were pregnant. Come on, somebody. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That is cool. We are still blown away by God's faithfulness and ask that you keep us and our second miracle in your prayers as we hope that this miracle can be a testimony to someone that is experiencing a similar situation. Keep trusting in him. I promise it'll be worth the wait. What a great story. Some of you, even as I read that, it is encouraging you because you are in a situation maybe just like that. And you're like, man, God, if you can do it for them, you can do it for me. He can. He can. Some of you, maybe it's not that need, but it's another need. God can do it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. What's our, what's our position? Not to get worried about why is this happening and all of that. The devil wants you to be distracted with all of that. What you and I need to do is just say, God, I don't know why this is happening I'm not sure, but I know that you're good and that you do good, and I'm going to seek you and I'm going to trust you. Amen? And that faith, that faith will unlock the miraculous. And so we're going to be praying. We're going to sing. We're going to worship just for a few moments as a church and just believe God to make ways in our life. And if you have something, whatever it might be that you might be facing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, Whatever you need, come down. We want to pray for you. We want to believe God to do something powerful in your life. Let's just pray over our time. Would you lift your hands all across this place? And let's just welcome the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Father, 
We just pray that your spirit would move in our lives. God, we pray that you would, that you would do the miraculous. God, that you would do things that make us say only God. Only God could do that. Lord, we just surrender. We look to you. We believe with faith and with hope. God, we trust you that you are good and that you are still doing miracles today. So, Lord, come. Move among your people. Work in our hearts. Work in our lives and provide in a way like only you can. And, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take some time. We're going to worship. I want to invite you, if you have a need, step out of that aisle. Work your way. If you're in the middle, just work your fight through. Come on down and see God do something great in your life. Let's worship.